You are listening to Words of Jen, where I read to you one piece of my writing in each and every episode. This is Jen, and you are listening to Words of Jen, episode number 78. This one is called Flexibility and is part of the 1997 series I am doing for Napod Pomo 2021. In these episodes, I read to you pieces from a handwritten journal that I was required to write as part of my student teaching experience in 1997. So I'm going to pick up where I left off before and you'll soon see why this one is called flexibility. The other interesting thing before I get started is previous to this all of my writing was done in black ballpoint pen. But for this one it's all in pencil. So my best guess is I either lost my pen or it finally ran out of ink and I was using a pencil for this part, which seems kind of weird, but that's what I did. It looks like I found a pen again later, so all is well. Wednesday, September 10, 1997. What got done today? One, I started and almost completed a bulletin board in the main hallway. I put the kindergarten geometric shape collage up from Miss M's AM and PM group. I got many positive comments about it from teachers and staff. I like doing bulletin boards, and Mr. D does not, so this works out well. 2. I took lots of pictures of the kindergarten geometric design artwork. 3. Dr. Yu called. He said he received all of my stuff but was waiting on the others. He will never arrive on a Thursday. He may arrive next week or not, and probably on a Tuesday. So let me break into that a bit. Part of the things we had to do as part of student teaching was to photograph the work that the students had accomplished, that they'd finished, that was done. It was also good if you made a bulletin board full of, you know, very brightly colored kindergarten artwork to take a photo of that or several photos so you can show your professor, this is my lesson plan, here it is in my, you know, three ring binder for you to check out, and this is what the results were. And then you had to take pictures of it with a film camera because we didn't have smartphones in 1997, not anything like we have today. So if I were student teaching today, I would probably be using my smartphone to take a bunch of pictures and then I could upload them to my computer and edit them or crop them or whatever, but that was not an option in 1997. So I literally had to buy film that was gonna work with my camera and try my best to take as good a photo as I could of that bulletin board and then maybe focus in on like some you know smaller pieces of it or smaller sections of it to get a really good look at what the kindergartners had done so my professor could see it and judge it I guess basically and see if it was you know something that was done well. So for those of you listening to this who were too young in 1997 to remember what the state of photography was like at the time let me just explain. So first, you need to have a camera that takes a certain kind of film. You can't just stick any kind of film in it. It was specified to the type of camera. People that are photography buffs already know this and probably are. If they're still using film, which they could choose to do, they probably already know this and they can just skip ahead a little bit. But 
other than that, if you are a person who's only taken photos from your smartphone, this is what we had to do. So you go into a grocery store or a, a drugstore that has film, and you search around for the kind that's going to match your camera. And when you find that, then you have to figure out, okay, how many little canisters of film am I going to need in order to be able to photograph the art projects that I need to photograph for my professor while I'm student teaching. So you do that, and then you figure out how expensive the film was, because at the time I thought it was expensive. I cannot remember the price. I cannot translate the price from what it was then to now, but it was expensive. So once you buy that, then you have to go home and stick one of the little canisters. There was like little plastic canisters for the film, so it wouldn't have light affect the film and destroy it before you got to use it. So you'd have to like, you didn't need a dark room specifically, but you did have to take care that the film wasn't specifically exposed to a whole lot of light. So you'd go home somewhere, maybe like a dim-ish room, and then take you know, open the little plastic lid off the canister, take the film that's in it, which would be all rolled and sealed inside another little plastic type thing, or maybe it was, I don't think it was metal, I think it was plastic, stick it into your camera the right way, which sometimes took some fiddling, and then there was usually, you close the little door on that, and then there was something you could use to kind of get the film to connect to a little sort of a cogwheel that you could turn by moving this lever on the outside of the camera and it would crank the film up to where it's supposed to be. You ideally had a certain number of shots you could take on that, you know, with just that roll of film. It wasn't that many. I'm thinking maybe it was 15 at the most. Then you had to remember to bring your camera with you to your student teaching experience so you could actually use the film that you bought. You also probably had to bring the rest of the canisters with you, like in a bag or a purse or a backpack or whatever you were using at the time, so that if you did run out, you would have the opportunity to put another canister of film into your camera, replacing the one that had been used, stick that one in the now empty container that held the film that you just put into your camera that you have not shot yet, and repeat as needed. Now. When you run through all your film and you have taken photos of everything you could with the film you had at hand, then you have to go back to pretty much wherever you got the film from. Some grocery stores had uh, photo processing departments, some pharmacies had them too, and you would go and you would pay again to have the film processed for you by the processing department that there was always somebody there that was able to process film for you and so you do that and then you'd wait to get it back and then you could put it in your binder assuming that the film came out well enough to please a professor that was your professor for student teaching and repeat 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 that's what it was like so you pay twice basically and I think if you are someone who was too young to remember those days you might be feeling rather outraged about the fact that you had to not only pay to buy the film but also pay to have someone else process it for you. Whereas today you could just take out your smartphone and click 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 see instantly whether or not the photos came out, delete the ones you don't like, 
you know, you can crop them to some degree. There's some stuff on your phone probably that'll let you do a minimal amount of editing or cropping or changing the light so it looks better. And there you go. But that was not the case in 1997. It was that time consuming. It was that expensive. So I will continue on from there. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Dr. Yu, who was my professor in previous episodes. He was, we were told, your professor will come and visit you on your student teaching site and observe you sometime within the first two weeks. And he did not do that. We didn't know why. There was paperwork we had to pass out to him, which I know I, I gave to him, and then we called him, or I called him. And again, that was not on a smartphone. That was on a landline. And I cannot remember if the thing that I wrote here that said that Mr. Yu called, I cannot remember if he called the school I was in or if he called my phone at home like after school. I can't remember. But in any case, that's how it went. It was a landline and you had to hope that your roommates weren't on the phone so your professor could call you. And that's where that went. So at this point in the journal, I had not yet seen him as part of my student teaching experience. The next part of this has to do with the papermaking project I talked about in the previous episode, so I'll start there. I found out that using cardboard, even shiny cardboard, as a base to press the paper the kids made does not work well at all. It sticks together too much. The next idea is to use wax paper on the rest with one sheet of cardboard, parentheses shiny. Oh well, gotta learn somehow. Plan B is to have the kids draw on wrinkled butcher block paper to give it the appearance of age and mount the other paper, cardboard and all, onto it. Mr. D says the kids don't know what it's supposed to look like anyway. 5. Reviewed a bio of Vincent Van Gogh. It's really great. Gave it a good review. Now C School gets to keep it because mine was the second review. And just to reiterate, this, that school particularly, I was at three different elementary schools, that school was allowing teachers, or well, faculty as they called them, to review the children's books that came in. And in order to have the school library keep the book, they had to have a good review of each book by not one, but two faculty. My mentor, I guess, at the school, who I was doing student teaching under, Mr. D, was one of the faculty that was well-equipped to read the art books. He was the only art teacher for those three schools, so he had, you know, more experience than probably any other teacher trying to decide if that particular children's art book was good or not. And he told me I counted as faculty, and I had similar background and enough knowledge about art to review a book. So we were systematically going through all the books and then trading two books and, you know, writing a review on the second one and then turning that all in so that they would Get as we would get as many art books for that school as we possibly could so the kids could read them and learn from them. So that was kind of our plan. It might have been a sneaky plan because I wasn't officially faculty, but it worked. Okay, so I'm going to go through one more uh, piece of journal here. And this one was uh, Thursday, September 11th. Now, keep in mind, this was 1997. This was long before what we now think of as September 11th. So... Just understand that. Thursday, September 11, 1997. What got done today? 1. 
completed and photographed the two bulletin boards for the kindergarten geometric design in C school. Two, realized the problem with the paper making project at C school. It seems that the paper we chose to blot the handmade paper on is glossy. This we knew. It also seems that when this gloss gets wet, it forms an adhesive. This we did not know, so we will go with plan B, mounting it and drawing on butcher block. I feel like I screwed this up because four classes used this paper, but after talking that over with Mr. D, I changed my mind. Okay, I messed up four out of fourteen classes. I learned what not to do next time. Mr. D says a big part of teaching is being flexible and having the ability to change lessons on the spot if it doesn't work. He also told me about a few of his lessons that didn't work out. Part of student teaching is failing gracefully under the watchful eye of a teacher that knows what they're doing because they've had much more experience uh, in that field. And I, at the time, was like, oh, I screwed this up. This whole thing isn't going to work. These four classes, they're going to have to do it differently. That it's going to look different from what the other kids at the other schools were doing. And I just, you know, I didn't know it would turn into an adhesive because it was glossy paper. Mr. D did not know that either. It was kind of a, let's see if it works. And, you know, as he said before, the kids don't know what it's supposed to look like, so it's fine. And that just made me feel a lot better because I honestly thought that I'd failed this and I hadn't. It just was something that happened and it didn't mean that the project was a failure. The kids still got to learn how to do paper making. They had, you know, more to come essentially to put it all together. And, you know, he, I think, I think what really helped is Mr. D told me about several of the lesson plans he'd done that just didn't work. So I kind of came away from this with the idea that Stuff's just not going to work sometimes, and that's okay. You just fix it, or try something else, or make changes for the next time you try to do this lesson plan. Oh, I should note that um, this journal entry was written in... It started out in pencil, and then it turned into a very dark black ink pen that I found somewhere. So I guess I was just grabbing whatever writing utensil I could find to do these journals at this point. To continue... Checked the paper at L School. It worked. Thank God we used different paper to back it. No gloss. Four. Peeled one out of four classes paper project. No fun. Five. Observed Mr. D teach the accelerated language arts class about Native American storytelling. Very interesting. This class is very interested in learning, asks many questions, is self-motivated, and overachieves. Fascinating. And that's where I'm going to end this one for now. I don't remember if we ever went back to the language arts class because I think he probably had that planned with the teacher of the language arts class, and I bet there was an art thing to it as well. I don't remember much about it because most of student teaching is a blur as you, you're right in the mix of it and you're starting and you're trying to figure it all out. Sometimes things work, sometimes things don't work as well as you want and you just have to be flexible and uh, figure it out. So that's going to be the end of this episode and I will come back with the next one on the next episode of Words of Jen 1997 series.